0: If you can picture this command center, big screens on the sides, keeping everybody informed, everybody coming in the room multiple times a day or initially staying there to really drive change and decisions throughout the organization and to external entities.
1: Welcome to another episode of Meditech Podcast, the leader in healthcare technology, empowering you to be a more informed healthcare consumer and provider. Hear the latest from our friends and colleagues on topics we think you should know about. Today I'm joined by Danao Retino, VP of Operations and CIO at Firelands Regional Health System in Sandusky, Ohio, the only full service medical center in Erie County. A former tactical management information systems leader for the U.S. Army, Dineo has over 20 years of experience leading teams and meeting challenges across multiple industries and revenue models. Daneo will share how his team leveraged analytics in a centralized command center to lead his organization through the COVID-19 pandemic and how he is now employing this same strategy with vaccine administration. Daneo, when the pandemic hit, I know analytics played a big role in your decision making. Can you explain how?
0: what we ended up doing was leveraging these BCA dashboards. They gave us this near real-time information that we could see how many testing, you know, once testing came out, how many tests were we putting out? Which format was it happening? Was it happening in our drive-in clinics? Was it happening here in-house? Where were our COVID positive patients and how fast were they growing both here, you know, in our units in the hospital, but also in the community and surrounding communities? Where were we seeing these pockets of of COVID positive patients pop up? So we really did that as much as possible. And then, you know, also refer to analytics of external firms, John Hopkins, other people who are looking at things on a global scale to really see where we were different than them or where it was the same. So just trying to leverage those dashboards to drive our visibility into what was going on initially. We even kind of moved that forward as things became a little bit more you know, progressive, if you will, and we understood things better. It was clear to everybody, we had a PPE shortage. So you know, another good example, we ended up saying, okay, good. We know what we have in-house. We can put that up on dashboards so everybody Understands, but what does that translate to days on hand when we're expecting another surge? So we worked with Meditech's Professional Services as an example to deliver some really basic predictive dashboards that said, okay, if we have a surge and we increase our census by 50%, 60% of, of this type of patient population, now how many days of on hand do we have of, you know, gloves and face shields and masks at a time when, you know, if we all remember back, we were working with other entities to use 3D printers to get some of this equipment in house. So. We're really leveraging uh, analytics to make good decisions as quickly as we possibly could with the information we had.
1: No, that's great. And what you're using is data to really do tactical and informed decisions. So that is probably using some of your military background in there a little bit, I'm thinking. So I understand that you maintained a command center to coordinate efforts around your pandemic response. Can you walk us through this command center?
0: We can, you know, Firelands is, is is blessed in many ways. And one, I guess, I, I really want to give credit where it's due is we hired a number of years ago a new director of safety and security, and she brought with her uh, this really mastery of incident command and and that whole structure, uh, which is used by a number of other you know government entities and FEMA, which helps us integrate well with police departments, fire departments. You know, we're all speaking kind of the same language. So when this started, you know, it, it felt really like a, a Conflict, right? Like you're going into a war zone because you you don't well you don't have all the right equipment that you wish you had. You don't know exactly what the situation is, but you know you're going, and you know that we're going to tackle this and, and help uh, you know if you will defend the the community against this virus. So we did end up propping up a, an incident command. Most of our senior leadership was part of that. Interestingly, it's a you know, and, and this was a little bit unique in that normally when we had rehearsed this, it was kind of the same people based on the type of incidents we could predict. We never really predicted global pandemic, right? And uh, so what we found is a number of leaders from all over the organization stepped up, you know, not necessarily because it was their position, but it was really because of their skill set. And that's why they could, you know, play a really good part in this, in this specific command structure, which is a little bit different than our normal organizational structure. So, you know, initially uh, that was very beneficial. And and to be honest, we're still uh, using that here a year later, although in a much stepped down, you know, way. so, you know, we were able to flex up those resources and flex down those resources um, in command as as we needed to. And I think a big key there was making sure the right people were involved, but we could drive all communication to the organization and the external entities from that command structure. So we had marketing involved from a public relations perspective right from the beginning. You know, we were communicating effectively with our staff on PPE shortages and, and had infection control driving science-based decisions and how we were going to use it. Allowing our new CMO, who was incredible through this process, to have a direct line of communication, you know, to the staff. So that's what we did. You know, again, if you can picture this command center, big screens on the sides, keeping everybody informed, everybody coming in the room multiple times a day or initially staying there to really drive change and decisions throughout the organization and to external entities.
1: No, that is great. And I know that there's been, you know, health systems have a special staffing that work and work together very well and have come together, I think, through this in efforts in ways that I, I don't anticipate that some of these organizations expected. So it's been humbling to hear some of the stories that have been coming out. So we all know how important community outreach was during the pandemic. You alluded to some of the marketing components. Take us through your efforts to connect with the community.
0: Wow, that was that was extensive, and I want to be clear here. This is not m- my efforts, the efforts, but but on behalf of Fireland Regional Medical Center, because there's a uh, so many people, you know, were involved. Our CEO is a great communicator. Our CMO, our marketing team. It really started out with making sure we were talking internally well, but immediately, you know, had a strong partnership with our local health department. In addition to that, local health department, the Ohio Veterans Home um, is in Sandusky here, which has a, a very large population, you know, of, of older and and in some cases sick veterans. So we reached out to them as well and formed those partnerships right off the bat. Um, They they inevitably uh, did have a, a little outbreak there that that again, they they managed uh, in an incredible fashion at a time when you heard a lot of horror stories across the, the country as things were, were very easy to get out of hand. But not just them. We also reached out quickly. And in many cases, to be honest, not even us reaching out. We had the local vocational schools reaching out to us to say, hey, we can print things to help you make shields. We can help you acquire these other resources. So those partnerships really just you know, were very great for the organization, and I think for the community. You know, the local media uh, partnered with everybody, made sure they were getting the message out. We didn't have a lot of the political banter uh, in the local media. It was really about let's get out the science-based facts, let's let people know where they can get tested, let's let people know, you know, what outbreaks we're really experiencing, and and that even translated later on when we wanted people to come back to get healthcare because they were neglecting certain things. You know, when you have you know people having heart problems problems and other things just because they didn't want to come in to risk getting COVID all of those organizations kind of helped get that message out as well. So, you know, that's, that's really where we spent a lot of time and effort, you know, keeping those partnerships through our incident command. Uh, the other big thing was making sure that the community had a way to honor the caregivers, because that was a big need. And, and we saw that come out in spades in, in our environment, you know, everything from trying to donate equipment and donate food to make sure that, you know, as simple as you can have iPads in place to communicate, uh, you know, end the life conversations with patients when they were in isolated units, all the way to making sure that the community was putting out signs and they all gathered in the parking lot one time and they're flashing lights and honking horns, um, you know, at a a specific time in order to, to show the nurses and people who couldn't get away from the bedside, their appreciation, it was just incredible, I think. Thank
1: you. So it's also been clear that this pandemic has really heightened the importance of patient engagement. So what are some of the ways you communicated with your patients directly?
0: We had um, our marketing team uh, leverage social media quite a bit. So we've got the the local media talking at more of a broad scale, but those that, you know, increasingly followed us on social media via Facebook, LinkedIn, things like this, spent a lot of time making sure that they had appropriate messages. Believe it or not, even though we, we talked to the people internally via email and conference calls and all of that, some of them uh, tended to, you know, work in a night shift, you know, didn't get into email that time. So they would, They would look at some of those social media outlets as well. So I think the shorter answer to your question is everything we had available to us at the time was really what we wanted to do because different people consume those messages in in different in different ways. So, you know, a lot of and and again, our employees, I refer to that because they were a big part of our patient population. Right. We had we had employees and staff members, caregivers getting sick, you know, caregivers who were who were scared because they're in the face of this virus all the time. So when I talk about, you know, direct engagement with patients, I'm really focusing on those caregivers as well. The other thing that we did is really leverage our patient portal, helped us quite a bit as we were starting to get testing, Because what we found is that quickly people were calling in and overwhelming our phone lines, just with follow-up calls, is my test available yet? So being able to ensure that our process said, hey, you're going to go to the portal, you're going to get results there faster than we will see them, you know, before somebody can look it up, they're going to go directly to you. That helped a ton. It drove people to that forum, freeing up the phone lines to be able to answer questions at a time where there was a lot of fear and certainty and doubt in the community. So I, you know, from my perspective, that's uh, really the methods that we were focused on.
1: Yes, and we're hearing that the portal numbers have really increased during this time frame, and and as you said, a lot of it was to get your results and get it quickly and and kind of see uh, and do some communication. Let's pivot a little bit. So now that the vaccine has arrived, how are you ensuring that your patients are getting vaccinated?
0: That's been an interesting run as well. So we started out with uh, very little vaccine and really focused on those that were most at risk, right? So keep the caregivers healthy so they can care for others. So we, we, Uh, spent our, I don't know, initial few weeks or month really focused on those frontline caregivers that were most exposed in our emergency department, on our floors, in our ICUs, Um, you know, and a lot of that was kind of very individualized, right? We want everybody who is willing and wants to get the vaccine to come down at certain times. After that, we started getting more vaccine in a wider group to communicate to. So we ended up having people do self-scheduling. Hey, you know, if you qualify under one of these criteria, go to our patient portal, go ahead and sign up, you know, get an appointment. And that was a very smooth process, which was good. People wanted to come in. They wanted to get the vaccine. The the biggest delay, if you will, was having to wait 15 minutes to make sure that they could safely leave and not have some some really uh, big reaction to the vaccine. After that, we really made an, uh, an effort to identify the patients that needed it, you know, as well to fill up a separate list. So as we started hitting an old elderly population, as an example, you know, let's say we had five doses left, still short supply, we don't want to waste any. So you wanted a list of other people who qualified under the criteria uh, in the state of Ohio that we could call quickly and say, hey, can you be here in 30 minutes, we need to be able to get this vaccine done before it expires and passes the, the time that we can keep it. You know, I'm proud to tell you that the team that was in charge of that so far, we've wasted zero doses, which is amazing from my perspective, you know, and and some of that was even, you know, key leaders in our environment literally walking the floors to find, you know, somebody from housekeeping or dietary who was willing to take it that maybe just didn't want it the week before. So that's been really good. That's evolved quite a bit now. So now when I look at how we're making sure patients are getting it, it's a lot of that community outreach again, right? We're working with the local health department as one example Um, Um, And Cedar Point has a sports center uh, that's over 145,000 square feet um, in our community. And so we've partnered with those organizations to have mass vaccination clinics. People can then, you know, apply. They can schedule a a vaccine, come in and try to get the shots into as many arms as possible. So it's really evolved quite a bit over time.
1: So I understand that beyond administering the vaccine, you are taking a unique approach at evaluating the vaccine's effectiveness. Can you take us through your analytics process?
0: There was a lot of apprehension, right? We've got a new vaccine, it's authorized for emergency use. You know, is it working? Is it worth the risk? And we had a lot of people, uh, even internally, although I'm, I'm really proud, you know, to say that, you know, 80% of our staff or more is now vaccinated. But we wanted to be able to put things out to say, hey, is it really working? Are we seeing what we're hearing? So what we ended up doing was tracking these types of things, tra- tracking different demographics. And then when we saw somebody who had come up COVID positive, were they vaccinated? Were they not vaccinated? And so we had all that stuff in our database. It was nice to put it on our dashboard board that our CMO could look at it. Hey, if somebody is post vaccination and ended up coming up COVID positive, is it a mild case? Is it not a mild case? You know, what does it look like in our community? It was really interesting because at first, you know, there were some people who thought maybe we, we don't care so much about that. You know, we'll just kind of inherently know. But once we started producing that data and people started looking at it, they really started diving in, and and frankly, it drove a lot of confidence in the vaccine. You know, what we have found is after a couple of weeks of getting the second dose, you know, it's very rare that we've had anybody come up positive, and when they have, it's been very mild cases. You know, and again, even after that first shot, not many people who had been vaccinated got sick. You know, we did have some initial cases where somebody got vaccinated after they already were positive, and so we had to get through that. I think we were very fortunate in that none of our staff died from any of that, you know, type of complication. But it was, it was just uh, a really neat thing to be able to provide that data, and instill confidence. And, and now I would say that the, the, the wide majority of people in this uh, community, and, and especially in our health system, you know, are confident based on our local data.
1: How did you then communicate that back out to the community?
0: We've got a a spectacular chief medical officer. Um, And when I say spectacular, he's smart, but he's also just very personable, great communicator. So we actually used him a lot to, you know, relay that message. You know, here are the facts and doing that through op-ed pieces with our local media, doing it through interviews with the Rotary and other local groups where he could get, you know, an audience and they would bring him in. And then also through our social media sites, local media, and our marketing group. But, you know, really what stands out for me is to be able to have somebody like him speak to these things in the community, be available for interviews, be available to talk, just facts, you know, no political insights, you know, no personal insights, just here's what we're seeing and here's why we're saying it, I think has proven very valuable in our community.
1: I do think people are looking for a trusted source for information so that's that's great that you have a leader like that within your health system. So what is a poignant memory, you will take away from this pandemic experience, can you share something with us.
0: When we started vaccinating people you know we really started with the public anyway, when we started with the public. It started with a, an elderly population. So the cutoff was 80 years old. So I, I volunteered to come in on a Saturday and, and help escort patients with a vaccination site. You know, I, you know, again, I, I had requested, I, I don't want to be in charge of anything. I, I literally just want to walk people to their seats, get them to the right place, whatever I can do to help from that respect. And, uh, you know, I had never seen that many of, of our greatest generation, if you will, kind of gathered in one spot. And just excited, you know, to hear the stories of, of couples coming up that have been married for 50 years, you know, 40 years, and, and they're they're getting this shot together, and and they're excited and thankful. Hey, I have the ability to get this, and this is a big difference in my life. I haven't seen my grandkids in a year, and I'm gonna go visit them. I'm gonna get this. I'm gonna get my second dose, and I'm gonna go. Thank you guys for what you're doing. I I just can't, I mean, it gives me chills when I talk about it, how touching it was to see our community caring for our community and the real life impact. You know, most of us in healthcare are bogged down, you know, for, for so long on the, on the sad side of these stories, right? Where people are, are not coming out so well, but To to also be part of that, giving new life and new hope, you know, to to other people, you know, that's not what a CIO gets to do very often, right? Like it was, uh, uh, I don't know, very touching and and, uh, something I'll remember for the rest of my life.
1: Thank you for sharing that with us. So we always end a podcast with a fun question. With the weather warming up in Ohio and more vaccinations being rolled out, it looks to be a good summer for many people spent outdoor with families. What are you most looking forward to this summer? Any vacations, activities or projects that you're daydreaming about these days?
0: Some of my hobbies are are just social distance by nature, right? I like diving. I like doing things that don't require crowds, but I also brew beer and I get together with quite a few people that are brewers and we have these contests and we haven't been able to do that. We haven't been able to get together, consume alcohol and lie to each other about about our beer brewing capabilities and and compliment each other even when sometimes we just want to make each other feel good. So if I'm looking forward to anything, it's it's gathering back with that group to where uh, you know we can can let loose just a little bit and uh, and share in that type of camaraderie.
1: I think that's a nice way to end this podcast session. So I thank you very much to joining us and sharing with us your experiences, specifically over analytics in that command center.
0: Thanks, Christine. I appreciate the conversation.
1: Thanks for listening. Stay informed and subscribe to Meditech Podcasts and be sure to check out our resource page for links from this episode. We'll talk to you next time.